Chapter 10 of Arona, Into the Wilderness My comer leapt with ease over a large fallen tree that blocked our path. I love riding these. I wish I could take one home with us when we go, I said to Drew, riding up beside him on the narrow path. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? I'll take one of these over any horse, he agreed, smiling. A shadow passed over us, and I looked up to see Leafen flying above, dodging low-lying branches with ease. Magical animals scattered as we galloped by. A large colony of bushy-tailed, dark green monkey creatures, with hair that looked exactly like pine needles, howled and hopped from tree to tree above us as we passed. This world was more beautiful and colorful than anything I had ever seen. I found myself in complete awe, excited to see what might happen next, and what unknown beauty or creature we might encounter. I'd dreamed of being an explorer since I was a boy, wishing that I could have lived back in time, exploring parts of Earth where no man had been. Now here I was, on a different world, fulfilling that dream. Everything was new and mysterious. I couldn't wait to see what might come next, so long as it didn't try to kill us. Suddenly, Trendon stopped in front of us. His comra snarled and kicked up dirt with a hoof, spraying it all over me. What's happening? asked Jack. Why are we stopped? Trendon looked around and unlatched his long spear from his saddle harness. Shh! Concha! He whispered. At the word, the other warriors reached for their spears, readying for a fight. What's a concha? Jack whispered back. Trenton ignored him and looked around frantically. Just then, we heard a branch snap to our right. Out of the brush leapt a large, hairy, ape-like creature that tackled one of the comra, throwing its rider into a nearby tree. Before I could even blink, several of the warriors had thrown their spears into the beast as it tore the comra in two in one swift motion. As the spears found their mark, the concha let out a terrible roar of pain. Then Trendon thrust his spear through the top of its head, while his comra leapt right over it. As soon as it had started, it was over. The concha lay lifeless, each massive hand still clutching one half of the comra, whose innards spilled out, its black blood soaking the dirt. Without saying a word, the Elden Rider who had been tossed quickly climbed on the back of the nearby comrade's comra, and we continued on like nothing had happened. Reality set in. Like most explorers I'd read about as a kid, I was reminded of the dangers of traveling through unknown lands. My excitement was subdued, and fear was the emotion that took the lead. That was crazy, said Cubby, galloping up beside me. These guys are insane. Can you imagine if they hadn't come with us? That was the same creature that killed those guys when we first crashed, yelled out Larry as he struggled to hurry his comber beside us. I shook my head in awe and disbelief, not saying anything, still slightly in shock. The Elden might be a small race, but you would never know it in battle. They were a very athletic people. I still had a hard time getting up on my comber, which was much larger than the Elk of Home. These men were half my size and made it look easy. We rode for hours until the long darkness of night slowly started to creep in between the trees of the already shaded forest. Leafen flew down from above, landing on a thick, low-lying branch that crossed our narrow path, and yelled something to Trendon. His eagle then dove again, nearly touching the ground before flying low between the trees in front of us, then sharply turning to the left. 
Oh, how I wish I could ride on one of those eagles, I thought to myself. Leaven seemed more skilled than anyone in flying. I was really starting to like him, and he was becoming a close friend of ours. Despite us capturing him and tying him up for days, he had forgiven and befriended us. He was an Elden of many words, always talking in a soft-spoken, almost mumbling manner, despite the inability of any of us to understand him. I would always respond, guessing and gesturing until we figured it out. Every conversation ended with a smile, and usually a chuckle from Leafin. He was a jolly Elden, of the best kind, full of energy and curiosity. For some reason though, Trenton didn't care for him much. Little fool, he would say. Too much flow. Flow was the potent, fermented root drink we had tasted while in the city of Elden with Steve Odin. To me, it tasted like soap and smelled like a disgusting combination of piss and gasoline. But Leafin seemed to be very fond of the drink and always reeked of it. Good, he would constantly say to me as he took a swig from his small flask, always offering it to me first. Good seemed to be the only English word he knew. Regardless, I liked Leafin. If the flow is what he needed to stay married, then so be it. I only wish Trended would have some once in a while. Might do him some good. I've never even seen him smile. In fact, I think I'd only see him wear one facial expression the entire time I'd known him, and it's not a happy one. He didn't seem to like us, and always wore a serious frown, grimacing whenever we tried to joke around with him. We stop here, barked out Trended, as he pulled his comrade to a halt and looked back at us. Stay near, no fire, no talk. No fire, no talk, Cubby whispered to me as he turned around in his camera, trying to mimic Trenton's accent and facial expression. <laughs> I couldn't resist a small laugh as Trenton zoomed past, headed back the way we had come in. The others dismounted and started to tie their camera to a large tree close to a nearby cranny. Leafen was already inside, a small high crevice in a rock, bedding down for the night. He always slept high above us. We had entered a different part of the forest now. The path was more narrow, and oversized grayish-purple boulders piled on top of one another, forming creepy, statue-like figures. The tree's needles had changed colors from dark green to a muted yellow. I noticed that usually the animals and insects blended perfectly with each different hue of the ever-changing plant life. I slept lightly that night. It sounded like most of the nocturnal beasts of Arona were out as the sounds of creatures filled the thick, cold air. I laid there for hours, watching the many colorful nightlights dance their now familiar dance. We continued along a narrow path for the next eight days, always with Leafen high above us, keeping an eye out in every direction with his teleglasses. The slope seemed to constantly lead downward, and I soon learned that the lands of Elden were high atop a mountain plateau. One late afternoon, our coma slowed to a crawling pace because a thick, damp fog had settled in, making it impossible to see. I could barely make out the path before me. I heard a swish just above us and caught glances of Leafen on his eagle. I don't know how he could fly in this fog. I heard him exchange words with Trendon. We immediately made a sharp turn to the right. Our coma climbed a narrow ridge that wound upwards to the top of a low-lying hill. The fog wasn't as dense there, so at least I could see where we were going. Trenton stopped to make sure we all made the turn. Drew and I were the first ones to the top. Leafen was already there and had a small fire going. Finally, some warmth, I thought, 
rushing over to warm my hands. I had been freezing since we entered the fog. Good, he said, smiling at me as he sat shoeless with his tiny feet over the flames. Trennan galloped up from behind us and rode straight onto the fire, huffing as his combers stomped out the flames and kicked the burning wood and needles in every direction. Yaka na, yaka na, he hissed in an angry whisper, glaring at Leafin. Fools, he said, turning to us. Obviously, a fire was still not allowed. The camp was mostly silent that night. We ate some stale elden bread and huddled together in an effort to get warm. After lying on the hard stone in the darkness for several hours, unable to sleep, thoughts of regret once again entered my mind, and I longed for the soft fabrics and pillows of my little house in the city of Elden. Even with the unusual still, I couldn't sleep, wondering why we stopped so suddenly. I must have finally fallen asleep, because the next thing I knew, I was waking up to a frightening howl nearby. Startled, I opened my eyes and noticed that dawn was just starting to break. I felt myself freeze up for a moment, barely making out a dark shadow near the base of the tree, about 20 feet from where I was sleeping. Not really knowing what to do, I continued to lay there, watching the shadow, hoping Trendon or one of the others would see it. The light continued to grow and my anxiety was calmed when I realized it was Trendon. He was just sitting there, his eyes open as he looked out over the sprawling wilderness below us. He must have sensed me watching him, and he turned to look at me for a moment before standing up. We go now, he commanded, effortlessly mounting his tall, dark comra. I tried to nudge Jack awake, who was sleeping next to me and snoring loudly. Jack could sleep anywhere. The long nights didn't bother him at all. He seemed to hibernate nightly. I'm up, I'm up, he moaned as he pushed me away. Then he promptly rolled over and fell back asleep, face down in the dirt. Not wanting to poke the sleeping bear again, I stood up and walked off. I'll let Trendon do it. Jack didn't seem to mind when strangers woke him up. Later that day, as we rode, Trendon stopped and with one quick blow, cut down a large pike that was stuck in the ground near the path. He held it out for us to examine, and I saw that it was a decorated Taronk marker, claiming that these lands belonged to the kingdom of God. I had seen piles of them back in the city of Elden, where Marin had explained them to me. It showed depictions of pyramids, sacrifices, and skulls, while warning that any being who removed the marker would instantly be struck down by God. Elden land, Trendon said fiercely, before continuing on. Yellow and brown feathered squirrel-like creatures glided right above our heads as we rode by. They landed on tall, mushroom-like plants that would grow even taller with each new passenger. High purple flowers seemed to dance and would bend over away from us one by one on each side of the path as we passed. Other plants would make strange burping and hissing sounds, and some would even spit out when we rode near them. Several times while riding, I was showered in a milky substance that burned my skin, which I guess was a type of defensive mechanism for the plants. We passed through more narrow rock formations and canyons, continuing down the mountainside. Late the next day, just as it started to get dark, we came around a bend and I saw a great stone city in the distance, built along a wide flowing river. I could barely see Leafen on his eagle, already flying over the city. Excitement tickled my stomach as I gaped at the massive city. Sleep that tonight! Must go quick! 
Trenton commanded as his comber jumped across from ledge to ledge down the steep cliffside. Our comber followed his lead, kicking up small rocks that tumbled down the steep drop with echoing clacks. Trust the comra, I thought to myself, terrified that spots would lose their footing and would fall to our death. Soon, we were crossing the shallow waters of the river and riding up the bank of the other side. We traveled along the pathway, which finally opened up, allowing us some breathing room. Eventually, the dark silhouette of the city began to fade into the blackening sky. Hurry, he commanded. As our comer quickly ran towards a large, wide stone archway, my excitement vanished. The city was in total ruin. Plant life had taken over and now strangled every large dark stone. An eerie feeling passed over me. Where had these people gone? It had clearly been a grand city at one time. Once inside the city walls, Trenda dismounted his exhausted, sweaty Comra and gave some commands in Elden. He turned to us, nodding with curt approval. Safe here! Trenda approved a fire, and the other warriors started to make one and was once a large room with an old wood plank ceiling. The roof was now full of holes, and half of it lay scattered across the floor. Broken and upturned furniture gave it a particularly lonely feel. I looked up around the high, ruined walls and could see Leaf in the top his eagle, perched high upon a precariously leaning tower. The fire started to crackle, luring me to its warmth. I sat down next to Trendon reaching out and moaning at the tingling in my fingers. I could feel my hands for the first time in days. What happened here? I asked, at last able to speak without getting into trouble. Third war of Dynas. Toronks and others wipe out these people. Now they think it haunted, cursed, and won't come inside city, he said in a somber tone. The expression on his face was one of great pain. I had never seen him let his guard down. This was the first. Then I realized how he'd known it was a safe place, and why he seemed to know his way around. This was your city? No, but close to my old village. My people used to trade with this kingdom. My grandfather come here before my tribe, and these people were destroyed by the Turonks. King Elden, great leader, great warrior. He saved me from the fate of my people. Now he is my king, great king. I knew then the extent of his loyalty to King Elden, and that he would do anything the king asked of him. You rest, he said, standing up and walking away. I watched as he settled down near the base of the wall. I sat there, thinking about what it must be like to have your entire tribe destroyed. It helped me understand Trendon better, and I found myself liking him a little more. I respected his loyalty to his king. I walked over to where my brothers were making a place to sleep, on the other side of the fire. Knock, knock. Come in, said Cubby in an old woman's voice. Well, thank you, he answered himself in another elderly voice. What a beautiful home you have, he continued to joke as he opened an old wooden door, barely hanging on one hinge. A little dark and cold and run down, but I'll take it. He looked over to where Trenton was sitting, but he didn't seem to have heard Cubby or the laughs. This place gives me the creeps, said Jack, looking around the room. Yeah, but at least we have a fire and we can sleep in peace for once, I replied, taking off some of the uncomfortable black Elden armor. Despite what I said, I woke up several times in the night, to the wind howling and hissing as it passed through the many cracks in the walls. 
Each time I woke, I looked over at Trendon, and I was surprised to see him sleeping. It comforted me, and I quickly fell back asleep. The next morning, I woke up to the sound of chatter from Elden Warriors by the fire. Looking outside, I could see it was sunny and warm with clear blue skies. I couldn't believe I was the last one awake. I walked over and searched the Comer's saddles. Anyone seen any water flask? I'm thirsty. Yeah, we're out of water. Robert, Larry, and the girls went to refill them at the well, said Jack. About twenty minutes later, Trenton was clearly impatient, as he kept tightening his saddle straps and pacing back and forth. Why they take so long? I'll go find them, I said. Careful. You might find something you don't want to see, joked Cubby. They haven't had any alone time since we left. I walked out into the sunlight, to birds chirping and small furry creatures scattering as I tried to remember which way the well was. We passed it late last night in the darkness when we first entered the city. It was strange and a little creepy to walk around a ruined city. Most of the dark stone city was still intact, albeit overgrown with plant life. I wandered around for a while until I finally found the well. There was no sign of the two couples. Larry! Allie! Freya! Robert! I called out. Nothing but silence followed. They're not there, I said, as I finally arrived back to camp. Maybe we should give them a little more time? Smiled Cubby. No time! We must reach Middleton before it might come, said Trendon, as he mounted his comra and stomped out the fire. Hey look, there's Larry, said Jack. I turned and saw him in the distance, slowly limping towards us. He's hurt! Help! He cried. We all mounted our comra and rode towards him. He was bleeding from his forehead and hands. Larry, what happened? Asked Drew, dismounting his comra to help him. Larry fell to his knees, trying to catch his breath while he sobbed. <sighs> we, we all walked over to a small waterfall, just beyond the broken wall. The girls, uh, they took off most of their clothes and, and jumped into a swimming hole below. So then Robert and I did too. The girls climbed back up to jump again, and, and we kept swimming below. Then out of the bushes came a couple of those taronks. They, they knocked the girls out and, and started dragging them off. Me and Robert climbed back up as fast as we could. He got there first and ran at one yelling, trying to hit him with a tree branch. He put his head down in his hands, and I was scared to hear the rest. The guy, the guy just cut Robert's stomach wide open and threw him down into the water like it was nothing. I hit the one near me with a big rock, and, and, and then I must have been hit from behind because I woke up on the rocks below later. He grabbed Drew by the front of his shirt. We've got to go rescue them! We have to hurry! I tell you, stay in city walls, snarled Trendon. Without another word, he turned and rode off, his comra leaping over one of the smaller walls. We mounted our comra and followed him, rushing to try to save the girls. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to chapter 10 of Arona. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please take a second and give me a review. I'd really appreciate it. I'll see you again soon when we learn if Robert, Allie, and Freya are still alive.